Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Today, we're going to take a look at entrepreneurship and innovation with two great entrepreneurs and innovators. They are John Sibley Butler, a distinguished professor of management and sociology at the University of Texas at Austin, and Morgan O'Brien, executive chairman of Anterix, who was the co-founder of Nextel Communications, which brought us the cell phone. I would like to begin by asking Morgan, what drives the inventor? What made you different from so many other lawyers, and you are a lawyer? Uh, Llewellyn, I would say that it was uh, impatience with the status quo and an instinct. I don't think I could dress that word up any more than just to say an instinct that a change was possible. And so uh, a great deal of labor produces a framework for change. And then you have to have a certain degree. I think it's probably analogous to those fantastic athletes that leap off high boards and do any number of twists and turns before they hit the water, uh, not really knowing how it's going to end up. Uh, and that's the process. And John Sibley Butler, you have done more than just teach school. You've taught school in, in Japan, you've taught it in China, you've taught it in Boston, another foreign country to you, perhaps. Um, and uh, you've also been a, a startup mechanic and launched companies. What makes the entrepreneur the entrepreneur, the inventor the inventor? Well, I think there are two things. You know, the old idea of, of uh, invention necessity creating invention. But with me, it was also the academic side of Schumpeter as a graduate student at Northwestern getting involved in, in Schumpeter and his concept of creative destruction and also solving problems. If you go back to even 2000 BC, and this is what we have learned, it is science that started great inventions. And the scientist is, is the most important person in the world. What we do, we do the technology transfer. So I can sit here now and look at inventors and look at the relationship between tech transfer, that is what's going on in the scientific laboratories that can, we can really, really transfer to the business world. So I think what, had, what has made America great is the notion of science and what drives the inventor is the idea of how can I do something better to improve the world. If you look at medieval times, you had craftsmanship in almost everything, construction, buildings, furniture, et cetera, but it wasn't hugely innovative. Do you draw a line between innovation and doing things well. I do. I, th I think first comes the innovation insight and the, and the impulse to create something new. And, and then comes the process of trying to fit that to technology and uh, uh, invention. So uh, somebody like myself, I always like to say that my career uh, as a technology uh, executive started inauspiciously when I failed general science in college at Georgetown. And uh, so I have, I have really no technology 
credibility other than uh, being uh, opportunistic when I meet really smart people and a, and a, and a good listener. My great good fortune was to start my career after law school in, uh, at the Federal Communications Commission, where in the 1970s, uh, the transformation from uh, analog to digital was taking place. And many of the miracles that, that support things like uh, the smartphone are really traced back to the, the innovation that uh, that led us to, to to communicate digitally rather than through analog. Uh, one of your successes, John, was uh, Glowfish. Would you tell us? I mean, it sounds rather you know something of a joke, but in fact, it wasn't a joke at all. Tell us about Glowfish, which was your company and a big success. Well, yes, we, you know, at, at the University of Texas, also, I do the innovation stuff at, at McComb School of Business and had a student by the name of Alan Blake. And uh, we, were, we were always looking at doing things as we were creating Austin. You know, we had done Dell computers, we had done uh, 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 Whole Foods and National Instruments. So Alan came and he said, you know, look what the, the scientists have done to try to create a fish that was sensitive to pollutants. So we took that technology, I did the first investment, and we created a freshwater fish with all of the beauty and color of a saltwater fish. And it became very, very popular. As a matter of fact, we dominated the industry. And it, it's the first genetically altered pet in the history of the world. Of course, the New York Times, Times accused of, 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 of demeaning other world and, and messing up nature and et cetera. But we knew that the science was good. We knew that the science would not hurt anyone. It was very, very lucrative for my investors. And, 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 and we sold it at a very, very uh, high multi-million uh, dollar uh, price. And, and what it shows you is that Glowfish is still around, but it just shows you how important science is for what I call the new business models. What about being first in the market? People who are first in the market don't always triumph. We see something very interesting at the moment where you cannot go to any city in America practically and there are not electric scooters, some of them lying inconveniently on the sidewalk where you trip over them. And they are a great addition to urban transportation. They are a step forward and they will be refined and get safer and better but they were preceded by a much heralded device that really never caught on, the Segway. And yet much of the technology, I would imagine, in the scooter came out of the Segway, but the Segway was maybe a little too elaborate. Uh, it had its own balancing device, and it really wasn't needed because most people can handle balance on a scooter quite well. well they seem to have more problem with what they run into than how balanced they are when they have the catastrophe, but there you are. Uh, what about these precursors, these important things that come first in business and in science that are not themselves necessarily huge successes? Um, what comes to mind for you, Morgan? I always call that the John the Baptist phenomenon, uh, <laughs> coming, coming to make the announcement. 
Uh, well, and this is this. I'm sure the professor has a, a, a far better grasp of this from an academic standpoint. But from from my my personal experience, uh, it is not always best to be first. Uh, but that really is not sort of at least to the extent that I'm a typical entrepreneur. It's sort of not how I think. I'm I'm driven by by a, a a vision and a and a and a and a desire to to gather smart people around me and help achieve it and hopefully make money. Uh, but I do want to say for those who who may be listening, you know, hoping to get some words of advice and and much closer to the beginning of their career than the end, that uh, this process. When I hear somebody described as a visionary, um, I know that they're not like floating on a cloud, of, uh, like a puffy cloud and thinking great thoughts. It's much more uh, down in a deep trench, surrounded by obstacles, working hard, sweating, wrapped with self-doubt, insecurity, and a fear of failure. And uh, what, I, what I try to convey to those who are asking me for advice is um, that is a necessary part of the process of creating. And uh, don't shirk it, embrace it. Uh, and it, it, the process of finding the successful path is exploring an unconscionable number of unsuccessful paths and, and being willing and having people around you who are willing to say, oh, we were wrong. Uh, now we have to change that. There are some wonderful quotations from Thomas Edison about uh, the value of failure and the inevitability of failure in many things. Uh, when we think about uh, these advances nowadays, two names seem to dominate our thinking. Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, both of whom have changed the world radically and uh, uh, irrevocably, and it's not going to change back. Uh, and they've done the seeming impossible, both of them. Uh, and they're both probably not the most charming of men that you would meet, and you necessarily would not want to um, uh, spend a lot of social time with them. At least that's what I learned from my reading. I don't know. Uh, John. What do you think about these great men who seem to change everything? Well, Is know, there a theory of great men in innovation? Well, or? Yes, it certainly is. But if you look at the my, my fellow Austinite who just moved here, uh, Musk, you know, it's really uh, uh, Nikola Tesla whose theory and ideas that he's using. And the whole idea that how do you take Nikola Tesla? How do you take those ideas? You know, it's like going from analog uh, to digital. Uh, the the uh, are we you know the Western philosophy is analog and the Chinese philosophy is digital. That is one zero. It's either yes or no. Whereas in philosophy, we argue with Plato, uh, maybe this and maybe that. I think that great men have the idea to to take <clears throat> to take their ideas, right, and ground them in into the technologies and really, really become aware of what, what people are actually doing. Remember that we had electric cars in 1903, but this is what they have. They have an ins 
a desire, right, and a desire to make people's life better by using a new technology. So when I say that it's, uh, you know, Tesla is Nikola's uh, technology, and I think we're just at the beginning of what that great inventor essentially did. Let's go back to Jobs. You know, if you look at what Jobs did, he had, he had the idea of, uh, of putting pictures, if you will, on his computers, or moving away from, from the IBM notion of just writing code so that it could be much clearer. They changed the world because communication is what we do. We're going to eat, we're going to communicate, and we're going to travel. Okay, so if you look at the, the telegraph, if you look at the telephone, the most amazing invention to me, it would be the airplane and the television. I still don't understand how a football game can come to my house and I can see it <laughs> in living color. So, Luella, I, I still can't right. understand um, why so many people want to watch a football game in their house, <laughs> well, but I'm a bit odd that way. Well, obviously, I, obviously, you're not from Texas as we continue here. <laughs> I like the quote, which is attributed to Henry Ford, but it's probably not from Henry Ford, where quotes, but then is that what the public wants is a faster horse. Yes. Uh, I think that's what most businesses are trying to provide. They're not trying to take that huge step forward, uh, which is very hard to do. Uh, I noticed, John, that, that you are also the management and sociology. Uh, where does the sociology fit into invention? Well, the, uh, the sociology is what we call now social analytics. Sociology was created, it was originally called another name. It was called social physics. And in the 1830s, uh, Comp, Emmanuel Comp laid out a science that was very, very similar to physics for human beings, but we did not have the data to do that. So right now, all of the physicists are becoming social scientists because we can now write equations to what people expect to do. Of course, the average person would call it analytics, Right, but but really it's just good old statistics and it's just good old social physics. So all of my research comes out of psychology and, and, and sociology, that is the explanations as to why things go. And let me give you an example. It's all, it's all based on, I gave a talk down in NASA on the impact of social physics on, on, on business. And when we draw out a physical network, a biological network or a social network, they all look the same. So there's something about networking, and we've taken that and applied it to, to science. So, so sociology from Max Weber's work, the Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism, was always concerned about business enterprise and why people do stuff. And it's the best theory that I got at uh, Northwestern University and, and also the University of Chicago. So that's where sociology is about human beings and all businesses will start with demography. Well, that's very interesting. Go ahead, Marvin. Let me let me just let me just add that um, it's it's tempting to associate all the accomplishments of somebody like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk to the individual, and of course, without them, it wouldn't have happened. But it's the ability to bring others together, to share your vision, to complement your own weaknesses and to uh, decide as a team to win. It's the organization of multiple people, personalities, and talents. I like, I like to say that as much as I enjoyed studying law at, at Northwestern University, coincidentally, uh, as much as I enjoyed 
studying law, I would have been better off in business if I had studied psychology because so much of success in business is understanding other people and how how they what they value and how they perform. And my, my last anecdote is that I I used to say when I was completely young and naive, uh, there's no secret to business. It's making money. There's no secret to motivation. It's make money. And I could not have been more wrong. It's not make money. It's achieve something together. It's do something meaningful in a group. And, and folks like myself who have been lucky enough to be involved in a few successful ventures, that's what we remember. That's what we value. That's the best part of it. Morgan, you, you are executive chairman of Enterix, which is a, a part of the electric utility world and hoping uh, to be more so by bringing back about a new era in communications. Can you tell us a little about that company? Wireless uh, technologies and, and long-term evolution, which is what uh, powers smartphones, et cetera, uh, has revolutionized the world. And it was the insight of myself and, and a few others who were in the wireless business that that utility industry and, and as it grapples with the necessity of modernizing the grid while focusing more on distributed generation than centralized power generation for purposes of reducing carbon emissions, that there was a natural marriage uh, between next generation broadband technologies, wireless technologies, and a modernized grid. And, and Enterix is right at the intersection of those. So uh, I'm this lucky person that, but I had the experience at Nextel of helping to uh, create uh, mobile communications uh, and, and for end users, for, for, for all of us. And, and now it's, it's more enterprise, developing uh, broadband communications for critical enterprise, the utility industry. And uh, uh, you know, I, couldn't be, I couldn't be more excited by the potential of, of, again, taking great new technologies, and now it's LTE and, and, and it's transitioning to 5G, 6G, which just means additional generations of technology, and applying it to something that's a real world problem every day, which is how do you make the critical necessity of electricity uh, not pollute the environment to the point of defeating uh, 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 all this, all the social good that electricity provides. And it's, it's a, it has to, the, the United States has to get this right. And we're, we're, we, we play a, not a, not a centralized role, but we, we play a supporting role in that process that's unfolding. And of course, Rowan, you're an expert in this field from, from whom I've learned so much. Well, I thank you for saying that. I'm not sure I am an expert. Johnny, and for that matter, Morgan, there's a very successful and popular television program called Shark Tank, which very publicly brings financiers together with inventors. Uh, it is such a successful show that it's gone from its original home on MSNBC to general distribution 
Um, and does that work? Is this a good way to go or is this just a show? The University of Texas at Austin created the first business plan competition and it was the best Shark Tank ever. And this is kind of what I think. I've had lots of students to go on Shark Tank. What I like to say is that things that make people aware, every little bit helps. What has happened in America and among my students is we do not understand how to create wealth. So when I walk into my MBA class or my undergraduate class, I would say there's no reason why everybody here should not be in the top 1%. What I like about Shark Tank is that it introduces the public to the idea of taking an idea and getting investors and people coming together because entrepreneurship is, is bringing people together as, as we've just talked about. So it's a great program to make people aware. Now here in Austin, things, things have changed in, in, in the sense that uh, Shark Tank has, has got to evolve into the ecosystem where the entrepreneur is. The great thing about cities like Austin, Texas and, 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 and Silicon Valley in Boston is that the ecosystem is there. So if you have a great inventor, for example, in, in Idaho, they're going to move to a place where the lawyers understand. That is, our lawyers, we had to teach our lawyers how to understand investing in startups. You don't have to work by the hour. You can take 20% of the company and make millions of dollars. There are accountants who understand. So Shark Tank does a great job of letting Americans know the idea that your idea, your business idea can be invested in. And let me just say this, Llewellyn, that idea of creating wealth in America has been lost in our universities and has been lost in our high schools. We are so managerial oriented now. So I love Shark Tank because it does a lot of great things. But when you go to places like Austin, Texas, we have Shark Tanks every day. I cannot walk into a Starbucks without somebody saying, hey, let's talk about my enterprise. It's a wonderful program to let people know how you can create wealth. What are your thoughts, Morgan? Do you think it helps uh, to, to make yes, the, cre the creation of wealth so public? Yes, of course. But um, I like to, I, I'm a believer that it is uh, the way America manages and, and encourages the development of entrepreneurial businesses that will cause us to sustain rural leadership. That, that we have a culture and we have a, uh, a folk way of uh, starting small, building, having no restrictions on where you can go other than your own uh, willingness to. Uh, and to the extent that uh, that's lost in today's educational process, that, that's, a, a, that's a crime. So uh, I'll say from, from my experience that there is, there's nothing more creative than the process of uh, taking a business idea, which is a complete abstraction, and turning it into something real using, essentially, other people's money. Uh, it's, it's the process. It's a process of translating uh, your business, your, the technology your business depends on 
to the to the harsh realities of uh, return on capital. Uh, I, I and I just want to make one point for those who may be listening, which is that a lot of times the the venture capital, the the those who represent that side of things, are portrayed as rapacious and uh, unforgiving and out to make you know the 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 uh, the best buck. Our experience was so radically different. Uh, Nextel as a company would have been impossible without the, the belief and the resiliency and the support of uh, the, the private equity that was uh, invested in us. And in Terex, again, would have been impossible, but for the fact that I was able to go out, tell a story, raise capital for something that was just a complete idea and then translate that into dollars and cents and people and programming and places and all the things that are necessary to build business. It's, it's awesome. Do you think, and this is for both of you, we're coming towards the end of our time together, alas. Do you think we've concentrated our inventions in recent times too much on electromechanical things that we've forgotten all the other things? Coco Chanel made a lot of money out of scent. Uh, somebody's made a lot of money out of Greek yogurt, which was invented 2,000 plus years ago, but only just marketed in the US. Are we too concentrated on technological evolution and not looking at a lot of other things that people like? Well, Louis Ellen, let me just say, I see both. I think that I think the, uh, the highway, the, the, the interstate highway is a great invention. I think how we grow chickens in Arkansas is a great invention. I think I think how we uh, arrange uh, our grocery stores are great inventions. And as you know, the pandemic pandemic created so many new business models. So when you look at the science, it is it is going on in smart clothing. It is going on in the food uh, industry. Let's look at what Kellogg did in in the early days. Uh, let's look what uh, John Mackey did with Whole Foods. Uh, uh, in the early days. So I think that the communication industry, uh, as Bob Metcalf, my colleague would say, who invented the ethernet, would say it took off, it took off, and it had almost a life of its own because it in every step was an improvement. I mean, Nextel was one of the greatest improvements that we've had in the history of, of America. So I would say that it does not get the same kind of uh, um, uh, ink, if you will, or the same kind of social media, but there's lots of in invention, new ideas on how people live, uh, the way roads are going, uh, smart cities, and it all comes, some of it all comes back to we want to make everything smart, which brings us back to broadband. That is our show for today. I thank you. It's time for me to take my tie off and to go down to the local dog park and watch the dogs frolicking without any concern about inventing anything, but maybe a thought about their dinner. Until next time, cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen, we are there.